my name is Mike Davern, and I'm joined by Matt Richards and Amir Chuloff. This edition is going to be our 2022 year-end rear view, and due to the ever-changing macro conditions, the title will be Back to Normal History. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Amir, first I'd like to start off with, uh, you know, closing out a tough year, we can now look back and point to the key issues that guided the markets lower in 2022. In our letter we sent out in October, we discussed the true impact of the hawkish policy set forth by the Fed. That being said, if the narrative going forward continues with rates being higher for longer and a weakening economy, what does that mean for our outlook for 2023? Thank you, Matt. Uh, there is no question that Fed was the main driver of what happened in all of the markets, all asset markets in the previous year. And it is our opinion that it will continue to be. So we're going to start a new year with still having Fed as the number one issue uh, for the markets and volatility in the markets going forward. Coming into the 22, we were talking about possibility of mistakes that Fed could do on its tightening path. We were not questioning that there will be a tightening path. Uh, what comes out of it is, is, is obviously uh, sub-questions. If they are tightening, how far will they go and how long it's going to take? So some of those questions are being answered now. And the main one becomes, did Fed make any mistakes to damage the markets and create a recession that will cause uh, further erosion of, of um, value of assets in the economy after the earnings are adjusted? Um, so we're not we're not sure why Fed was late. We're actually we were we were talking about earlier uh, in our communications how we think they were a little bit behind because everyone pretty much knew we had inflation towards the end of 21. That was pretty obvious. Um, the Fed started a little bit behind. That could be for political reasons. It could be because they waited for data to be sure that they're seeing inflation the way they want to see it before they start the increases. But once they started, it was pretty much what we expected. It was in March, 0.25% increase in interest rates, following with 0.5 increase. And then the real step up happened. Then the hard policy started with four increases of 0.75%. And then I think a major speech, historically it'll be at least looked at as a major speech in Jackson Hole that was outside of a meeting in August that Fed Chair uh, communicated directly to Wall Street how important uh, the Fed believes this, this tightening cycle is and how hawkish they have to be and how hardline they have to be in all the operations they do to make sure they'll break inflation. What that August has done then afterwards is create havoc in September. It was a sell-off of the markets. If you remember, the real estate was holding out actually pretty good all the way until September to have a major crash in September. Uh, all of the markets went down and we created a new bottom. The other question that that follows from that is is what else can Fed do to make this easier or or worse? And uh, we don't know what the results of their um, operations on on their balance sheet will be. That's certainly adding to tightening, and it could could have a further effect that is not accounted for fully at this moment. Uh, 
knowing that that all these operations of, of different central banks are kind of connected in the world that, that is fairly connected and globalized um, and, and Fed being the most important central bank I would argue in in the system where dollar is the king um, they made some of the decisions on a fly following day that it was coming at them and they can argue and they should argue that the war in Ukraine was certainly something that was not expected and it definitely increased uh, inflation uh, around the world, especially in Europe, was becoming a main cause of inflation in Europe with energy. And closing of China, prolonged closing of major cities in China that added to the problems with supply chains and, and further delaying um, uh, the issues we had from the pandemic. The other banks had to react to the dollar becoming strong and then that, that some of those operations created even more uh, problems for the Fed on interest rate side and they had to go even further and be more, um, at least on declaring that they're going to go more and longer. Fed policy will continue to be important in 23. It will continue for some time until Fed pauses first and then makes a pivot starting to cut interest rates at some point in the, in the next year. Um, inflation number and how they report inflation number is becoming crucial and how delayed this data is. And we're not going to know when they're going to pause and where they're going to pivot. Uh, and, and it's highly possible that they will wait for full data uh, before they do any of it. Um, inflation was the key word. I, uh, to me for 2022 and and I think if, if you if you looked across the media it'll probably be uh, one of the most words most used words in 2022 I think that word will now be replaced going into the next year with word earnings uh, at least for investors and earnings are going to become uh, as much more important than inflation right now I think inflation inflation is already peaking but the damage that interest rates and all the Fed policies to curb inflation have done on economy will be reflected in those earnings and those earnings will be a cause of either further pain or uh, a, a way out and way towards uh, corrections in the market um, and going up. Thanks, Amir. It was a very difficult year in 22 for investors. Going into 23, the shift seemingly could go from pain on Wall Street to pain on Main Street which is set to be brought on by rate increases we have continued to see across the globe. How do you see these rate increases affecting the real economy in 2023? You're correct, Mike. Pain was with investors in 22, and it will possibly be with consumers and companies in 2023. Rates are the key. High rates slow down the economy, and that's what Fed is going for. They need to slow down the consumer to bring the economy back in balance and crash, inf crash inflation. They have no other tools to help inflation other than work on consumer. They cannot fix supply chains. They cannot do what governments and corporations can do to fix the supply side, but they can definitely work on demand side. And their primary tool the inter is interest rate. As I said, they're determined to crush inflation. What they don't want to see is a stagflation. That's what they were really afraid of, and that's what a lot of economists were afraid of. And if you have a raised inflation becoming a little bit more persistent and prolonged, 
paired with slow economic growth, that's kind of a worse position to be in. And I think at this point, the Fed is communicating they will rather see them breaking inflation and bringing us into recession than having a stagflation uh, uh, be uh, entrenched into in the economy. They know if inflation stays higher for a little longer, it also becomes expected by all economic participants, and it starts to be, become perpetual, as it did in some economies in the 80s. Um, so where, the, well, where are the rates going to go you know, to push the inflation down? They have to go further up. So we should, we should be expecting that Fed does another one or two uh, rate increases in the future. They will probably stick for a little while longer with hard line message, trying to get the uh, Fed rate to be over 5%. You know, market is not pricing it right now, but Fed is trying to communicate fairly clearly that they want to see the Fed rate over 5%. Sometime later, they will pause, and sometime later in a year, I think they will pivot, but because by that point, a lot of indications are showing that inflation should be probably halved from what annual inflation is right now. There is enough indications and articles out there uh, from the economists, from uh, uh, market participants showing that, that we're past peak inflation and, and that some of them expect inflation to be in low threes or even high twos by the end of the year. Where the risk is for the Fed and everyone else is that by, by tightening too far, they can create some cracks and, and, and low liquidity in, in some of the markets. So they will have to pivot when they see that the risk to, to, to cracks and, and, and low liquidities is, is the highest. Next up, macro issues were the main driver on asset prices for almost all of 2022. We know the majority of these issues were brought on by COVID and the recovery from it. Going forward into 2023, how do we see these macro issues progressing to a more balanced scenario? See, I honestly think that pandemic just kind of opened up the box fully and, and brought up the issues that were brewing from 2008 on and, and, and you know, in this big um, super cycle, the issues that were coming up over time and accumulating and were under the covers kind of got opened up in the pandemic. Um, if, 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 if you want to say it that way, maybe pandemic sped up some of those processes and, and, and make them more obvious. And some of them maybe come to faster resolution and bring the world to a faster balance that we're so used to historically. Um, over the years now, we've talked multiple times about this turn in globalization that is taking the shape. So we're used to this world where over the last over 20 years, uh, the world is becoming more globalized. The cost was being brought down of doing business. Uh, cost of goods was being cut. People were traveling freely. The trade was done freely. Uh, people came together more uh, than before. Technology development sped up. Uh, but, but that's coming to a kind of a big turn. And we can now hear, even in the media and the news, 
talk of about deglobalization and what shape will the world takes take after this. See, I believe that we are kind of coming to a more historically normal world uh, that, that history is more used to, or ha of having a more geopolitical uh, balance of powers uh, running the world and keeping the security and peace together. And also, on macroeconomic side, there's so much influence with geopolitics. Um, we're, we're getting more to a more uh, world that, that, that used to be expected, kind of, where you have the cycles of inflation uh, going up and down, and interest rates a little bit higher and a little bit harder to do business. Okay? Uh, one of the things that... that, that, that made these things kind of open up fully is populism. And populism is a shift resulting from 2008 and resulting from this super cycle turn in globalization. Um, we see that issue still going to be, as is still going to be with us in the future, but we're also seeing the pendulum swinging, you know, from one side of, of, of um, the uh, populism uh, to you know, issues of immigration, issues of race, and things like that, and then issues switching to issues of maybe economic nationalism, and we're seeing more and more of that. And and even United States could be blamed for being a little bit more economically nationalist than they used to be. And you're going to see more unionization, uh, which is caused by that populism, but also caused about the new economic reality where people are going to be laid off, and labor has a little bit more power in this environment. Um, China and the influence of, of China on the world with, with, with big goals that China had over the many years, and obviously a lot of them accomplished, is another part of, of what's going on in, in, in a big picture, and we'll, we'll have to see the, how that gets, gets resolved. Uh, China being shut down partially throughout this year took a lot out of overall global GDP. And that's one of the reasons uh, the GDP is going to be low and we're in recession. So I'll, I'm seeing a turn in that in the next year. It's pretty obvious that, that their, their politicians and leaders want, to, want the country to open up. The question is how fast it's going to up, open up and what kind of quality of the growth we're going to have after that. One thing that we can say for sure, and this is not just the case with China, is that the leadership is getting a little bit challenged. And we have to see what that reaction is going to, what the reaction to it is going to be. Uh, and that causes the economic growth that was the primary goal of, of Chinese leadership historically over the last five, 10, 15 years uh, to kind of take a backseat to other priorities that leadership might have. This is not only China we're talking about. We might see this in next year happening in Turkey. There's a big election coming up. We know that current leader has lost the local elections previously and now you know his leadership is in is seriously challenged and there is a possibility that we see more crises on the edges of maybe that world somewhere uh, trying to keep um, keep the power in in the focused in the hands of current leadership um, Russia definitely um, after what happened in Ukraine and as this war is getting prolonged uh, probably uh, serves Putin better from this perspective to have a longer war than a shorter one because in this situation right now he's losing um, 
and, and he would lose the confidence, probably lost it already, and there's going to be challenges to his leadership in Russia, and we're going to see some crises coming uh, in that world, in that sphere, let's say. Also, we see what's happening in Iran. It's daily in the news. Um, and and this, is, this could be, um, seriously, kind of a democratic movement and an and honest uprising of population, uh, but there, it's a challenge to power leadership, no less, uh, at the moment with Iran's stability is kind of unimportant for the world. Uh, all of this is kind of creating a world that is taking shape that we can now see is more divided into blocks that are either strong ties allies or weak tie allies, and, and we see between those blocks it, that, that there is going to be some controls and restrictions of trade, uh, restrictions on, on, on changing um, data that, is, that could be deemed uh, security risk, uh, restrictions on, on exchanging technology, on development of technology that could be security risk. So, so what we might see in the future is the world that comes to some kind of a balance eventually, but that globalization and, and true open free markets don't exist between these blocks, but only inside of these blocks, okay? So it, it has to, over time, influence how we create our portfolios, how much risk we assign to investing outside of US borders, uh, and, and, and how we look at those risks uh, in the future, and, and how we, uh, you know, choosing how we want to take them and where do we want to particip participate. Um, the econ economical significance of all of this is is something that it it, it will it is now becoming uh, a much more of a focus for uh, people that deal with policy and people that uh, run large investment firms, and and macroeconomics will be influenced by what's going on, and and and, and obviously it's we can see it now in the redesign of the supply chains, uh, redesign of the labor force. And, and, and redesigning interest rates, because the interest rates will change uh, based on inflation that is caused by increasing cost uh, that, that comes with this more divided world. Now that we covered the big picture, I really want to shift this over to opportunities for 2023. Current equity and bond prices are down significantly year to date. The S&P is down 19% roughly. NASDAQ 100 following suit with 30% down. The Bloomberg Aggregate Index is down close to 12 and a half. Where do we see pockets in this market in the upcoming year that will potentially perform well? Let me start with what's been done. Okay, so we had a, a big sell-off in the bond market, as a matter of fact, two years in a row. That that's really rare. That bond market is down for two years, so that creates some opportunities. We also had a big sell-off in the stock market real estate market, uh, even private equity. Uh, we, there, there definitely be opportunities going forward based on where the prices are right now. What we also have to be looking, what's, is it being done, did it happen or not, is did we have enough time in the bear market? Has it, has it kind of all been calculated in this? Uh, and did we see any flush? So as I said earlier, we had a bottom market created sometime in September after 
it was pretty obvious that Fed is straight talking about their hardline policy and is meaning to follow that policy uh, for a while. What we're also recently seen is we've seen a big sell-off in cryptocurrency. Part of it caused by uh, 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 news of, of issues with some of the markets for trading. Uh, companies that were tra were, were tra uh, platforms for trading the cryptocurrency. And I guess good news in that one is, I just go to an aside here, um, good news in this, that one, with that one is, is that technology actually worked. There was no problems with technology. It, it, it is uh, a, truly a problem of the business that was being run. And uh, it is time for bad players to be taken out so we can create more confidence into technology markets and crypto markets overall. Um, and, and, and I'm sure that this will cause a, a kind of a turn and a starting point for regulators and for other market participants to get involved uh, for real in, in what's going on with crypto. Uh, second thing that is also pretty good uh, is that we see some questioning of the true value of private equity. And... You know, we know where the real estate prices, commercial real estate prices are, even though it's not traded as a liquid market as maybe stock market is. Uh, we knew for years that these uh, big institutional portfolios that have portfolio, you know, diversify across uh, private equity and private real estate and then put part of their assets as a balance into indexed stock uh, uh, portfolios um, are not truly long-term viable if we have true valuation and updated valuation on that private equity and private real estate. So the questions are coming around and I think that's healthy too. So both of those things are, are kind of creating some kind of a bottom and, 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 and pointing to maybe this is, this is that flush that we've already kind of gone through it. Um, the second thing that we should be looking at going forward, looking for opportunities in the future is we need to now start talking about real rates and required uh, return on investment. Okay, I, I think it was kind of abandoned, maybe not fully, but it was not uh, taken to account as much as it should be over the last 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's becoming something that investors should be really taking into account, and I think they will. Um, so the you know, real return requirement is a measurement that cannot be avoided any longer. For example, if, if treasury bonds are paying a certain interest rate, and then like I would usually use tips to measure that, treasury inflated, uh, uh, treasury <laughs> indexed bonds, um, if, you, if you look at them, they have now positive real return. And bonds, treasuries are becoming a viable option to equity investing. So investors can put money and make some real interest rate um, in investing in bonds. So we now have to look at, you know, if that risk-free viable option is there, we have to look at how much risk we really want to take and what our required rate of return will be and should be for the uh, risk that uh, we are willing to take with parts of our portfolio. So uh, going forward, that should that should and 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 possibly change 
how these portfolios get built and 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 portfolios as we see it actually already in this year are shifting from is investing in growth uh, primarily and 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 being more diversified and and I think where the opportunity uh, maybe is is building these bar built portfolios that that are more value oriented that are looking for dividends in certain pieces that have smaller size stocks and mid size stocks inside of them not just large cap tech um, and the opportunities can also come from where we are in the cycle. If this truly is the last part of the last economic cycle and the new one is going to be born, uh, positioning in the uh, sectors and investments that traditionally, historically have proven they, they perform best in that beginning of the new cycle is also could be also beneficial to portfolios. And another thing that we should not forget is that dollar value of over the last year in the 22 was pushed up so high that it became really hard to make any profits investing in foreign assets and that's on top of all the other issues that we were counting up with with investing internationally but i think going forward uh dollar should be um, weakening as our rates will be going down in the future um when they do and that could create some opportunity um, for investors that are willing to take some of the risk in be it developed foreign markets or emerging markets there should be some opportunity out there overall looking you know i i i, I would say that for long-term investors being disciplined in rebalancing being disciplined in investing with levels of risk appropriate for what those goals for the investors are should be uh, this 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 could be a time of opportunity uh for sure and where that opportunity may be in the first part of the year may be different than later on it's quite possible that bonds actually perform well in the first part of the year and then maybe later, later part of the year, we see the, the, the recovery in the equities markets, uh, especially in the sectors and, and companies that do well as the new bull market is being born. Amir, thank you so much for that. That was a great way to end the year and give a little sneak peek of what we think is to come in 2023. Um, I will say that I have to believe that the, the silver lining for this year really was the continued easing of COVID restrictions as we finally got to get back to what we originally used to do here with our uh, client events and our parties and um, going forward we can definitely look forward to doing more of that and at this point I would just like to say thank you to everybody who is with us uh, we wish you a very happy and uh, healthy 2023 that was true love wealth management updates we really appreciate you listening and see you in 2023 Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network did not assist in the preparation of this report, and its accuracy and completeness are not guaranteed. The opinions are expressed in this report are those of the authors and are not necessarily those of Wells Fargo Advisor Financial Network or its affiliates. The material has been prepared or is distributed solely for information purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. 
Additional information is available upon request. Investment products and services are offered through Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network, LLC, member SIPC. True Love Wealth Management is a separate entity from WFAFN.